You may not like what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway because I'm not afraid to speak out. I think that the music in hell for eternally be some of this rock music with all its vulgarities. And Welcome back to Lost in the Catacombs. Your host, Josh, here. Back at it again with episode number eight. Hard to believe we're already eight episodes into this thing. But I appreciate each and every one of you who has taken the time to tune into the podcast, follow the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, share the podcast. Anybody who has supported this thing, I can't thank you enough. I'm starting this thing from the ground up just in my house and... It has been one heck of a ride thus far, and it has been such a fun experience, and I look forward to continuing this into the future. So yeah, all of the positive remarks and all of the positive, you know, just thoughts on this podcast so far has been incredible. I never expected it, so thank you all again. I guess this is a good time to remind everyone that if they do want to follow me on social media, they can on Twitter at Catacombs Media, on Instagram at Lost Catacombs Media. Just do a simple search on Facebook for Lost in the Catacombs. And you can find me on Substack at lostinthecatacombs.substack.com. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me at lostinthecatacombspodcast at gmail.com. And if you feel so inclined to do so, leave me a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. That helps me out more than you know. Just do that wherever you get them. And yeah, if you dig the show, that helps me out. Appreciate that. Before we get too far ahead, let's go ahead and introduce today's guest. We will be joined by Robin Stapps from The Ocean, otherwise known as The Ocean Collective, and they recently released their brand new album, Holocene, which is the final chapter in their paleontology series of albums, and to be quite honest, what a concluding chapter it was. Just yet again, another phenomenal release from the ocean. Can't recommend it enough, so go check that out if you haven't already. If you're unfamiliar with the ocean, let me go ahead and give you a quick rundown of the band's history. The Ocean is a progressive metal band from Berlin, Germany, founded in 2000 by guitarist and songwriter Robin Stapps. The Ocean has made a name for themselves with their unique fusion of progressive post-metal and experimental elements. The band's early releases, such as their debut album Fog Diver and the EP Islands and Tides, showcase their atmospheric and intricate sound. However, it was their second full-length album, Aeolian, that garnered attention within the metal community. Aeolian featured complex compositions, heavy riffs, and drew thematic inspiration from the volcanic landscapes of the Aeolian Islands. In 2007, The Ocean released their highly acclaimed double album, Precambrian, which solidified their reputation for ambitious and multifaceted music. 
divided into two parts per Cambrian explored the Earth's geological history and featured collaborations with notable guest musicians. The album's fusion of heavy, melodic, and atmospheric elements earned them recognition and established the ocean as a formidable presence in the progressive metal scene. Subsequent releases from the ocean continued to delve into concept-driven albums with diverse themes. Heliocentric and anthropocentric delved into philosophical and existential concepts, exploring subjects like religion, nature, and human existence. These albums showcased the ocean's ability to weave intricate narratives throughout their music and lyrical content. In 2013, The Ocean released Pelagial, an album conceptually centered around the layers of the ocean and the descent into its depths. The band's exploration of progressive and atmospheric elements, coupled with their signature heaviness, received widespread acclaim. The Ocean's discography is extensive and includes other notable releases such as Phanerozoic 1 in 2018 and Phanerozoic 2 in 2020, which further explore geological and evolutionary themes. With their progressive and experimental approach, The Ocean has carved out a unique niche in the metal scene, consistently pushing boundaries and delivering albums that showcase their artistic vision and musical prowess. So there you have it. That is a quick rundown of the ocean's history. Before we go any further, let's have a little fun. It is time for another installment of... Josh's Weekly Chat with an Artificial Intelligence Bot. That's right. We are back at it with another installment of everybody's favorite game. Josh's Weekly Chat with an Artificial Intelligence Bot. And this week, I asked this super intelligent bot to list me the Mount Rushmore of death metal bands. So after you hear this, go ahead and hit me up on the socials I gave you at the top of the episode and let me know what you think. I'll go ahead and do a quick rundown and give my thoughts, and I guess we'll see where it lands. So let's dive right in. So first on their list is death can't go wrong with that one so so far so good in my opinion their reasoning is as follows so the ai bot says death should be on the mount rushmore because they are considered one of the pioneering bands in the death metal genre and they released several groundbreaking albums including scream bloody gore and symbolic which showcased their technicality progressive elements and intense lyrics and it also says death's innovative approach greatly influenced the development of death metal as a whole yeah i can't argue with that one man i can't argue with that one at all so coming in next for the ai bot was cannibal corpse and their reasoning is because Cannibal Corpse is known for their brutal and graphic lyrical themes combined with aggressive instrumentation, and they are often regarded as one of the most prominent and influential death metal bands with albums like Tomb of the Mutilated and The Bleeding, which solidified their reputation and contributed to the popularity of extreme metal. Man, two for two. I feel like this one's going to be boring. Yeah, you can't argue with that one either. Cannibal Corpse should be on everybody's. Mount Rushmore of death metal bands, so I can't argue with it this week so far. So let's jump into number three, 
And they have Morbid Angel, yeah. Yeah, I figured that one would be on here. So, man. Three for three so far. I agree with it completely, and that is worrying because I thought I would be able to argue with this bot this week. After they gave us that uh, movie synopsis for Cattle Decapitation, I thought I was going to be able to outsmart this bot weekly, but yeah, three for three so far. Their reasoning for Morbid Angel is because they played a significant role in shaping the death metal genre with their intricate guitar work, complex song structures, and dark atmospheres. They released groundbreaking albums such as Altars of Madness and Covenant and Morbid Angel's combination of technicality and brutality set a benchmark for the genre. Yeah. Altars of Madness is probably in my top three favorite death metal albums ever, so I'm not going to argue with that, like I said, but man, this is no fun. Coming in at number four, this one... Ah... Uh, Okay, I might have an argument on this one. So, coming in at number four is Obituary, and let me preface this by saying that Obituary... I definitely see why people would include Obituary in their Mount Rushmore of death metal bands, and I love Obituary. Slowly We Rot is such a fantastic debut album. Ah, uh, man. They have such good guitar tone. Man, they are death metal legends, but I think in this spot, I would, in my opinion, my personal taste, and this is not to discredit Obituary because they are one of the kings of the genre, but I would probably slide in Autopsy. I'd probably put Autopsy at fourth. Not fourth, like, I'm not ranking these in a position, but, like, they would be my fourth on there, on that list. So, yeah, Death, Cannibal Corpse, Morbid Angel... An autopsy for me. That would probably be mine. You could say Entombed. The guitar tone on Left Hand Path is one of my favorite guitar tones of all time on any record. Hmm. Could also throw D aside in there. I'm going to say Autopsy would be mine. I'm going Autopsy. Yeah. Those early autopsy records can't be messed with. Man, that's a hard one. Coming up with the last one is always difficult, and I always ask my guests too to list like their top three albums and or like top three horror movies. And they're always like the last one's the toughest one. So maybe this is just the the karma coming back to me for asking the tough questions. But yeah, I'm going. I'm gonna go with autopsy instead of obituary. So. The AI bot and I disagree on one of them, but man, that's scary good. Scary good how they are matching me now, and it's whatever. All right. <laughs> it's just, it's crazy. Technology is insane. But yeah, again, my top four, or my Mount Rushmore, if you will, Death, Cannibal Corpse, Morbid Angel, and Autopsy compared to the AI bots, Death, Cannibal Corpse, Morbid Angel, and Obituary. So yeah, another fun installment of everybody's favorite game on the show. So again, let me know what you think after you hear this, and we can battle it out too. But anyway, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the interview with Robin 
from the ocean. But as always, let's first listen to a clip from one of their songs. This song is called Unconformities from their new album, Holocene. Today we are joined by The Ocean. Their new album, Holocene, is out right now. First and foremost, congrats on the new record, as I was talking to you about just before the uh, we started recording. It's a brilliant record. It is beautifully done. There are those moments of heaviness. You guys explore different soundscapes. But first and foremost, for those you know unfamiliar with like the concept behind Holocene, you know, how it connects to previous albums and the ocean's paleontology-inspired records. Could you kind of give us a brief overview of how this one kind of connects to everything? Well, this record wasn't really uh, planned for it, first of all. Um, the Fenrozoic records were meant to be wrapped up already with the release of Fenrozoic 2, which came out in 2020. Um, what happened was that our synth guy, Peter, started sending me ideas during the pandemic. And at first, we didn't even know if it was material for the ocean or for some other project or whatever. But then we realized that, yes, it was ocean material and um, it connected very well with the end of Fenrozoic 2, which already was going a bit in this more dark electronic direction. So it made sense to add another chapter to the, um, as you said, to this paleontology inspired album series that we actually already started with Procambrian back in 2007. And um, that's how how Holocene was born. Holocene is um, the the last... um, era of the uh, Fenrozoic, basically, the Fenrozoic Eon, which uh, we're currently living in. And um, it's also the track of, as I already mentioned, the previous record, um, Fenrozoic 2. And um, the Holocene is further subdivided into what they call climatic ages. This is the song titles now on the Holocene record. So um, pre-boreal, boreal, um, sub-boreal, sub-Atlantic, etc. Those are all climatic ages within the Holocene. So... Yeah, it's uh, it was kind of an, an unwanted child. This record, it uh, it just happened, and um, here we are. You mentioned the electronic, you know, world on Holocene. How does this shift towards like an electronic sound? You know, redefine you know heaviness for the ocean, or how does it redefine what the band is you know evolving toward? I think like essentially that's a question of what is heaviness and that's a very difficult question to answer. I've actually been thinking about it a fair bit. Um, I think um, there's probably many answers to that question, but for me, heaviness, let's say what heaviness is not, it's not necessarily defined by, um, you know, the typical means that are used to achieve it, such as extremely distorted guitars, um, double bass drumming and, um, you know all all those um all those attributes of of metal basically but it can also be achieved by entirely different means something can be heavy when it's emotionally heavy for example when it's you know although it may not right. involve any any of these elements that i just mentioned and i think holocene is a bit of an example that hopefully shows that it's possible to achieve evidence with different means um to me, it's all about intensity in the end. And um, in order to achieve that, in, in order for something to be impactful, you need to build up towards that point. And I think this is what we're doing with this record. It's, um, it is definitely still heavy. There's, there's definitely some heavy parts as well. 
that do involve double bass drumming and uh, right. you know heavy distorted guitars, but they're a bit more um, sparsely uh, situated on the record. You know, it's not that every track always goes to a hundred percent, and that the whole record is just like you know this this wall of a hundred percent intensity. It's it's a it's ebbs and flows essentially, and um, by doing that and by kind of like forcing us to not always. Um, go all the way i think um hopefully we've achieved a different kind of heaviness that comes more from the the build-ups over time than from the constant assault on the senses and in the end it's uh, hopefully also the more um sustainable <laughs> type of uh, experience when you listen to it you know like uh, for, for me the records that are really heavy in a great way without getting exhausting and boring are the records that are like that that definitely have heavy moments but those are really the peak of a certain journey towards that moment and not just something that is happening all the time because then it just gets boring very quickly. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to talk about, you know, what is heaviness? Um, and I've always, you know, considered, like you said, like the weight of the records, the weight of the songs, um, you know, perhaps maybe the content as well. And one that I always look back on is like joy division, right? some of those joy division songs are some of the heaviest songs like you could possibly listen to. Obviously there's like the story of joy division and how everything ended, unfortunately. But like when you listen back to those joy division songs, it's not like there's like tremolo picking blast beats, breakdowns and stuff like that, that, you know, yeah. contribute to the heaviness of it. So it's interesting to hear you talk about what is heaviness. Right. And I think like when you ebb and flow in the way that you structured this record, like, and we'll, I'll, I have a question about this later, but just how everything kind of starts. And at the midway point, we're met with this heaviness and kind of how everything, like you said, ebbs and flows. I think, you know, that adds weight to the record. And I think that was really well done. Did you guys, was that like the approach that you had in your mind was how you wanted the sequencing of the album to affect the heaviness of everything? Was that a big I think there was no I think there was no conscious decision um to do that. I think it was something that was essentially just kind of like integral to the material already. So like when when Peter started me sending me these ideas, they were mostly just like two or three parts per song, um all like electronic stuff. I started picking up my guitar and programming drum beats over it and started working with it. And um some of those tracks evolved into a direction where I felt like I wanted to add completely new parts that were then often involving distorted guitars and, you know, like more, I would say like more typical ocean material um, and fabric and other songs, they did not really call for that. They just, uh, you know, they, they seemed like they were complete uh, without that. And the, I think the first three tracks are a good example of that. They're all relatively short songs for our standards anyways, um, within the four to five minutes range, which is really short for us. And um, <laughs> and yes, I could have continued and, you know, added more parts to it, but I felt like, no, maybe that's not necessary. And like in the end, I think that's also just basically illustrating a general um, development that we've all gone through as, as songwriters, especially especially myself and probably Peter as well, who was very involved with this record, that we don't always need to um, bring a song to what Jurassic Cretaceous is, for example, you know, of Phenerozoic 2. That's like a 14 minutes track uh, that is extremely convoluted and um, 
and just like it also a track that was five years in the making and it's just a very long and intense and complex piece of work and that songs like that do definitely represent where we stand with the ocean in 2023 we love playing that track live but it's also possible to do to achieve a similar um atmosphere and a, and a similar emotional intensity with entirely different means and stripping down and trying to um reduce myself to the essentials has been something that maybe unconsciously i i have been uh wanting to do with this record you know like to not always like i said to not always go all the way to not always um deliver a hundred percent um peak intensity at all times but to really work with dynamics more and to let a song uh be finished when it's finished after five minutes and um and not be not feel forced to you know to do more with it and by doing that we've created some tracks that are like well let's put it like that we've created a, a, an array of vastly different tracks so there are tracks like unconformities or atlantic that are rather long and you know and that do have a lot of heavy parts but they're also the, the shorter moments and those and those shorter songs they um they are incredibly important for the album as a whole so like for example uh, the first really heavy riff on the record is in Atlantic, which is track four, right. about almost yep. like twenty minutes into the record. But it's it is so heavy because it's it's being built up there over the course of the the previous three tracks, and you only get the full picture if you listen to at least that block of the record as a whole. You know, from from the beginning until until the end of Atlantic, and that's something that um, wasn't really like a like I said, it wasn't really a conscious decision from the beginning. It, it's something that we noticed when putting the sequence together. Um, for me, it was pretty clear. Uh, very early that these first four tracks were going to be on the record in that order. Like that was kind of, um, I don't know why, but it, it felt like this has to be like that somehow. And then um, when we put it together with the, the rest of the record, we realized that, yeah, this is a, a like a really a journey that um, transcends just the individual songs. It's something that goes through, you know, this, this block of the record as a whole. And I think that's what the, makes the record hopefully, um, stronger than the sum of its parts in the end you know if you listen to the individual tracks they all do make sense on their own obviously you know we premiered them as singles on their own but like they they, they gain an, a, a different level of uh something when you really um listen to them in that sequence i think and for me that's always been one of the key things about great albums you know where that, right. you, that you have that impression that you just wanted to like you, you had to listen to the whole damn thing, you know, like once you started, you wanted to play a track, you started it and you, you see there, Oh no, wait, like we have to listen to this too. And you know, like this yeah. feeling of like inevitability is just something that, that characterizes a lot of great records for me. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting point, man. Like, you know, a lot of musicians and bands today are moving kind of towards a single driven, I guess, approach to releasing music it's just more like singles every year or a few singles instead of like an album and the album as a whole like listening to it and taking it in for what it is from start to finish is kind of a lost art and i think on this album in particular it is like you said you have to listen to it from start to finish like you, the songs sit by themselves on their own but the way everything kind of connects together, right? So like when we start with the haunting, you know, sense on preboreal and then how that kind of slowly simmers and then builds up and boils. And then when it hits its boiling point at the, you know, kind of the tail end of the Atlantic, you know, and then even in Saboreal, like the heaviness just means that much more, right? So I think that is something on this album that I think is beautifully done. 
and kind of masterfully done if for lack of a better term, but yeah. Did you feel any, and perhaps this is a broad question, but did you feel any pressure to add the heaviness to this record? Obviously like it, it like slowly builds up and perhaps it happens organically. Right. But did you feel any pressure to make sure that there were those heavy moments or do you always feel that way with the record? Not really. No, I, I think like we're in the lucky position now where we can basically get away with anything that we want to do, which is, uh, which I'm incredibly grateful for. Um, I, I don't feel any pressure from expectations really. I think the people that have been following us over the years, they're kind of used to being surprised to some degree and to, um, well, to to not getting the same record twice, you know, like we're, we're not a band that is searching for the formula to the perfect song or album. And then like once they found it after a couple records into their career, they, they will stick with that forever. For us, it's always been about change and growth and um, and leaving things behind. Also, you know, that you yeah. that you have enjoyed in the past and that's all totally legit. But like we're growing up as pe as people, as musicians, as individuals. And if like it would be sad if this wouldn't reflect in the music that we write, you know, and if we were always like repeating the same stuff. So for us, that is a very integral part of of uh, also staying together as a band for 23 years now. Um, it's incredibly important to allow yourself to try things and to experiment, uh, you know, for the lack of a better term, but like really just to try things and see see how it see how they feel, see if that still sounds like like that band, you know, and uh, with this material, we've, we felt, like I said, in the beginning, we weren't even, like, we were not setting out to write an ocean record. We, we just started writing music. Peter sent me ideas. I was like, oh, this is cool. Let me do something with it, you know? So, but we had, we had no plans, like, to start writing a new ocean record now, but we realized very quickly that it's ocean material. And even without those uh, heavy parts that, like, weren't really there, even for the first four tracks that I wrote, they didn't really have many heavy parts. It still felt like an ocean record somehow. So I think we don't rely necessarily on that heaviness, but sometimes uh, it, it's just in our, in our genes, you know, it's in, it's yeah. in our blood, like a track, like unconformities, for example, um, was based on a synth idea from Peter. And it was basically like a verse chorus thing, which ended up being the big, the whole beginning of the track where Karen Park sings. And we could have ended it there at, you know, like five minutes into the track. Um, it, it would have been a, a, a really nice track by itself, but somehow I felt like it wasn't finished. It, it like there was something that still needed to be said. And then it's building up into what is probably the heaviest part of, of the record that is going back almost to like more very old, old school ocean uh, era, you know, music writing. Um, and still that felt just natural and, and felt like it, you know, the, that song just uh, led to that place and um that's how it goes so i, I didn't feel any pressure really uh, of expectation as a matter of fact like loic and me when we started writing vocals we didn't really explicitly talk about it but i think we tried to avoid screaming wherever possible and i i remember there were a couple parts like for example the end of atlantic in the be beginning we had scream vocals recorded over it worked great but after listening to it for six weeks we went back to it and we were like let's try something else you know it's it's good it works but there can be something better and in the end we came up with this uh well we came up with this this um vocal line that is like one of the best lines of the record for me personally like when he was singing that i was like fuck man this was worth 
having a second look, you know, and that's how it always goes, like, or, or often goes, like, you can be happy with something you've done, like, it would have absolutely worked with stream vocals here, nobody would have complained, but we felt like this track needs something greater than that somehow, you know, and and on the other hand, uh, for like the end of Subatlantic, for example, it was completely clear that this part needed scream vocals. And I had it like rhythmically always in my head from the moment I wrote the guitar riff, you know, and I couldn't imagine it any other way. So there's always a lot of possibilities. And I think what we tried to do with this record is we tried to avoid scream vocals for the parts where you had multiple options or where the, where the song was like kind of like pointing in different directions Then we tried to avoid it. But there were also some parts where it was very clearly this is the direction and this part needs scream vocals in order, you know, to to just be monumental and and heavy. And I think we had a pretty good gut feeling for that. And the, the result is a record that gets by with with less traditionally heavy parts and less scream vocals, but also not entirely without, you know, and I think this is what what makes the charm of it somehow. Which line were you uh, speaking of where you were like, oh, like it blew you away? Which line on the song? Basically, the uh, uh, the the whole end section of Atlantic. Right. When the first heavy riff comes in, it's first without vocals. And then um, I don't know if you want to call it the pre-chorus or, or yeah, it's, it's probably something like that. When he sings, um, son, you'll need a radical change like that part. And then okay, also yeah. the next part after that, which feels more like a chorus part, but it's a very untraditional song scheme. So it doesn't really make sense to speak in terms of uh, verse and chorus and pre-chorus. But yeah. It, yeah, we always need to give it some kind of technical terms just to make sure we refer to the same thing. Anyways, that whole section, basically, you know, yeah. that, that whole section was originally, uh, we had screen vocals recorded over it. And uh, then we took some distance, which also was something that really helped this whole process. The fact that we took a lot of time to record vocals. So we had those periods when we didn't touch the tracks for a month or two. And that often changes the outlook entirely. You know, you record something that you're initially very happy with. And then you go back and listen to it and you're like, yeah, it works, but maybe it's not the end of the line, you know, or vice versa. You're insecure when you try something. You're really like, yeah, okay, this is pretty cool, but... Uh, I'm not sure if this is going to work. And then you let it rest and you get back to it and you're like, fuck yeah, man. That's <laughs> so like you, you need, you need some distance somehow in order to, yeah. you know, to, to get an unbiased opinion on what it is that you're, that you're doing there a lot of times. And um, I think this was the first record where we really took that time without the pressure of being in the studio and, you know, you need to deliver, you have deadlines, the clock is always ticking. The fact that we re- recorded this album, album pretty much entirely ourselves um kind of emancipated us from that pressure and i think that really helped the record you know to really take the time and and uh, have the freedom to say well it's good but maybe it can be better yeah you mentioned karen park on unconformities how did that collab come together you know why was she the perfect person to have on that well she was the perfect person to have on that track because she has an incredible voice first of all uh, one that you can recognize out of like a million voices instantly, at least mm-hmm. I can, I think. And um, I think she really takes that, not only that track, but the whole album to a new level at that point when it's happening, which is also a quite important point, about two thirds into the record. When even with a lot of very good records, you know, often you have the the feeling that you've listened to five or six tracks and you kind of know what this record is about, you right. know, and then even if it's all, everything is like super great, you, you kind of get 
jaded or like you get to the point where you're like okay i you know i can i can skip now and i think this is kind of like bringing in a bit of a surprise moment at that crucial point that really um hopefully carries you through until the very end of the record and um well it all happened because it, unconformities was a track that was kind of like the leftover let's say when i started recording vocals with Luik, um we started recording for you know like a track here a track there not really in any chronological order just uh, however we felt inspired and that was the track that was left over in the end and i had some ideas for it and we tried it but it didn't really work out like in a way as i just explained like it, we were like yeah mm, but it wasn't really mind-blowing and um and then we let it rest and it didn't really get better and then we were like maybe we should uh, maybe we should get some help for this track you know maybe we should ask someone else and um we have been working with guest vocalists on almost all of our records. So it's not something that is foreign to us. And Karen was just on the short list of people that I wanted to, to do something with um, and that I've been wanting to do something with for a long time. So I asked her and sent her the track and she was into it. And then um, she kind of just did everything herself. She wrote her own lyrics and vocal parts and what she sent us initially kind of ended up on the record as it was pretty much. Um, so we were very lucky on that end. Like it's, it just like, it was, uh, she instantly understood what this track needed and we didn't have to ask her to change anything or to do anything. And that again, reaffirmed what I already knew that, you know, she's a brilliant artist and that she really is, she's just incredibly musical and everything she does also with all her solo stuff, um, it just always feels right, you know? And this is uh, beautiful when, this the stupid cliche of the language of music, you know, when you don't yeah. need to explain someone with words like, hey, uh, can you do it more like this? Or, you know, and that because that's always very difficult at first. And it's also if you have to do that, then maybe you're working with the wrong person. You know, I think you need someone that kind of gets it. And um, and she did. She did. And uh, we were just super blown away when we heard her take on this track. It was something we didn't really expect. Mm -hmm. Um very very different from my initial ideas that i uh, you know that that we tried before and i'm just glad that i didn't send them to her because we were thinking about that you know like we were at first we we're thinking to ask her to sing something along the lines of this and we were just envisioning our ideas with a female voice but in the end it was like no let's let, let her give it a fresh start and that was the best decision because she was completely unspoiled and didn't try to fit into any uh you know molds or any ideas that we already had but came up with something completely of her own yeah like you said it's definitely like a moment on the album and i think it's probably my favorite track on the record and you know just the way that it stands out amongst the other tracks and you know the beautiful change in soundscapes and atmosphere and then like it's still heavy near the end uh, it's just such a great change of pace and i would agree man it's she killed it on that for sure. It's really well done. But um, I kind of want to jump into, you know, you mentioned earlier, 23 years as a band. I'm always interested to hear people who've been around for a few decades now. Like, what what have you noticed as the biggest change in two plus decades as a band? Like, not maybe not in the music industry, but maybe how, you know, it works best to work together as a band. Like what are, where have you seen the band evolve more from an insider's perspective? Well, it's, a, it's a lot of water down the river since those early days. I mean, we're not the same people in the band as back then. Actually, I'm the only one that was in the band 23 years ago. 
and um, everything was different. I mean, I was a different person back then. Uh, the band was playing different music. Berlin was a different city. Uh, the music industry was entirely different. There was no sign of streaming, you know, and yeah. uh, anything like that. So, like, it's it's just, it feels like I've lived through different lives already. This is, like, the second or the third life, you know. Yeah, I can I only imagine. And, and um, yeah, and I mean, I have good memories of um, of those early days. We actually have a, luckily, we have a documentary of that um, that a friend of ours made in 2013, which is already 10 years ago now. It's crazy. But he did a, a, a like a triple DVD back then for us uh, called Collective Oblivion, which is uh, telling the whole story of the band from the early days until that moment in time, which is when we released Pelagial, basically. And um, I think it's up on YouTube now as well. So like, I'm, I'm happy to have that. We visited our old rehearsal space and he interviewed a lot of people that were in the band around that time. And, awesome. and um, it, it's it's really nice for us to have that. And may, probably also for people who are only discovering the band now and are interested where it comes from originally, you know, that offers a lot of interesting insight, but it's also very far away. And um, like even the even that phase of the band in 2000 from like from i don't know like 2008 2007 until 2013 um you know that during that time we had a bunch of people from switzerland in the band that uh, were not from berlin and um we made the centric records during that time that already feels like so long ago that's when louis yeah. joined the band as well that period and we still relate to those tracks when we play them live like uh, we still play a track like firmament live for example um, or the origin of species, the origin of God, like those heliocentric tracks, we we can still play them live, and it feels like the ocean. But it also, it's been so long ago already, and so much has happened since then. And um, I think the most important stage for the band's evolution um, began with Pelagial, basically uh, in two thousand thirteen. Like um, that record was really important for us for many reasons, and then also uh, during that time we kind of like morphed into more or less the lineup that we have now. Like it took a couple more years, but the lineup we have now has been pretty stable for seven or eight years. And that by itself has led to so much ev evolution and growth just because of the fact that it's the same people playing together, that we know each other really well as musicians and as people. Um, that has uh, definitely been a game changer because in the beginning we were more loosely organized, like a collective of different people playing together. And there were like different people in and out of the band all the time. And while that brought some fresh breeze of inspiration through these new people, it also was very limiting because we just never got to that point of really being that tight clockwork of a band, you know, where everybody knows everyone else very well. And where you, you just grow into this unit, uh, you know, in every aspect from communication on stage, off stage, every aspect of it. And we never had that chance because people were always only in the band for a short time and then they left or, you know, started having kids or career jobs or whatever. And then someone new was coming in and, and yeah, that, that just kind of like prevented us from going really deep down the rabbit hole I, I feel you know and um, yeah. so I think I think the, the last 10 years were probably the most important for developing the actual sound of this band as as it stands today were you surprised when and I'm asking this because I assume you didn't get into music thinking that you would be able to make a living off of it I guess like most people don't so were you surprised when things kind of started to snowball for the band and you started seeing the success I don't know if I was surprised. It's been something 
I've always been, of course, working towards, you know, like um, not driven by any ambition to play fucking arena stages or anything like that. I, I had no delusions that what we do is very niche, you know, and like it's uh, kind of like bound to small rooms. And um, not only because it's niche or because it interests a little, uh, a limited amount of people, but also because this is where it belongs. You know, I grew up in the hardcore scene and I, um, I've always enjoyed shows where you had that intimate connection with a band from the crowd's perspective and uh, and vice versa, you know, where and, and that is just like something that can only happen in a room of a certain size. It gets lost when it's like a, a hall with like four or five thousand capacity, then it's very difficult, you know, and uh, it, I, I'm not trying to say that I don't enjoy big open air festivals. We've done a lot of these and it's a different type of intensity, just seeing this sea of people in front of you, you know, at a good time of the day can be absolutely mind blowing as well. But we come from those small rooms and this is where we always feel, felt comfortable. And so I've never really had, uh, you know, like I, I was never really driven to feel like we have to play big stages and, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. That, that was, that was never my main motivation. It was, it was more about traveling and playing places that are difficult to get to that not a lot of bands play. That was always like the bigger challenge for me, you know, to bring our music to fucking Siberia or Ecuador or, crazy new zealand you know and and like the, the the privilege of being able to like play your music there and ideally you know make make the money for your flights back that was like what was really driving me for most of the time more than dreaming of rock ring or shit yeah. like that perhaps this is a, a little bit of a philosophical question but you know you've toured the world like you just mentioned what have you learned about the world i guess since being able to go everywhere it's a very philosophical question and uh, difficult to think of just one thing, you know, you, yeah. you learn something from every place that you visit and the people that you meet there. One of the main things you learn is that um, there's good people everywhere that are like-minded, that listen to the same type of music, that uh, care and go out of their way to accommodate you as, a, as an artist that comes to their country. And, and this is just one of the most beautiful things, you know, like... Uh, we just did Puerto Rico for the first time in uh, in December last year, for example. And Wesley, the guy who brought us there, was just a lovely individual who really wanted to bring this band there, you know, and uh, and uh, did his best to provide a fucking awesome experience for us in every aspect of it. And we've had similar experiences in Russia, uh, in Armenia and Georgia, where we played in 2019 for the first time. It was similar. We stayed a week in Arme Armenia, and um, this was just totally mind-boggling it's also countries that you are quite unlikely to go to as a tourist you know and if you are then you don't get as close in touch with people as when you're a touring musician and you have someone local taking care of you you know and and this is uh that's that's the beauty of it to realize that it, it's a stupid cliche but music really connects you know and just Absolutely. brings people together and uh it's also one of the few positive um, aspects of the whole digital age that uh, music is so widely accessible at your fingertips everywhere, you know, and uh, you can find the whole world library of music on, on Spotify uh, for free, basically, which is not, a, which is not good, but it, you know, it's, it's good because people from everywhere in theory have access to it and you don't need to order tapes or records and ship them, which, uh, comes with shipping costs and, you know, people from poorer countries can't afford it. No, like everyone has access to this and 
those people that do discover a band like us and um, and get into it, we want to we want to bring our music to them and play play there, you know. And um, yeah, so that's that's maybe one of the things you you realize that um, things are different in Kazakhstan than they are in Berlin, but it's still people who are listening to the same shit and who are interested in electric guitars and you know and this kind of small subculture that we all care about and this is uh, the most mind-blowing thing that you find that even in the most remote corners of the globe this question forgive me i know you probably answered it before but why like the paleontology approach to everything what was the spark behind that um i've always been intrigued by paleontology um i've also studied geography um so i was kind of exposed to that during my studies as well, or professionally or whatever, but I've always been intrigued by the, the sheer grandeur of geological timescales, which is something completely unfathomable for, for us that we only have kind of like a life, a lifespan, you know, as a, as a standard or something to, to measure things. And um, these extremely large timescales just show you how relative everything is, you know, from, our current debate about climate change when like not to not to um not to say that what is happening right now is not dramatic by any means but uh, there are a lot of things that already occurred on earth like millions of years ago that were quite similar and comparable not caused by humans at all you know which is kind of like one of the topics of the phenozoic one record um this stuff has always intrigued me and i've always been a nerd that loved to go to the natural arts museum look at dinosaurs and skeletons you know and try to imagine the world like how the how the face of the earth looked like back then so yeah. uh, you know like from a geomorphological point of view as much as regarding flora and fauna and like all of this has always been incredibly intriguing for me so i guess it's just one of my nerdy passions that um at one point i connected with music and that made sense also because i don't know like like the, the music we were doing for many years especially during like the precambrian uh, time when that whole paleontological concept album series was born that music was very archaic somehow you know it was very primal and when i was um thinking of like adequate topics for album art like the one of the first things that came to mind was these prehistoric landscapes of you know barren earth with streams of lava and like not much plant life you know and so at one and at the same time i was kind of studying that so it, at one point it just made sense to connect that and this is how precambrian initially was born and then again precambrian was like the beginning of the whole phenozoic sequence so um yeah i it, it's just going back to personal interest and the fact that it kind of like seems like a very adequate way of trying to visualize our music, you know? Was it always kind of like in the back of your head that you kind of wanted to touch on these, I guess, these themes of like alienation and, you know, the like modern state of like the Holocene age, obviously, like, you know, our modern age. What? Why did it make sense to like, use this as a, a foundation for kind of touching on some of these hard-hitting topics of the things we're going through today um if if you're talking about holocene here um well holocene we we kind of use that term synonymous for the, the modern age right or maybe more like the postmodern would be more adequate i guess but um this record was born 
at a time that was completely bizarre and like unprecedented, like the, you know, end of uh, 2020, basically yeah. fall of 2020, when a lot of weird things were happening all around, nobody knew what was going on. Really. We didn't know if the world would uh, come back to how we knew it before, you know, and this was very depressing for a lot of people. Also my close circle of friends and also my bandmates. And we just didn't know what was going on. And at the same time, there was a lot of social segregation because people were had to make theories and like they, everyone was looking for explanations and they weren't widely available at that point, you know? And so um, people drifted away into weird conspiracy theories and that it was almost becoming this ideological battle where, you know, my circles of friends were segregated and separated into um, camps based on what they believed in. And it was, it was just crazy, fucking crazy. If you look at it now, you know, and yeah. uh, that was the time when, we, we were writing Holocene and and the lyrics to that album were all inspired by what was going on there. So, but not just the pandemic, but just like a lot of things related to it, you know, like the, the alienation, um, the, the, the loneliness, the, the, the isolate that isolation brought, but also like conspiracy, conspiracy theories and, and, um, just being stuck also with your phone, you know, because you couldn't really go out and you were looking a lot at social media. And then like, I was thinking a lot about that. And this is what led me to reread um, Dieter Ball's Society of the Spectacle, which I had read in my, during my studies. I also studied philosophy next to geography. There was a book I had read during my studies and that felt like, although it was written in 1967, it felt like a very, very uh, valid uh, and and um, up-to-date analysis of our current social media world, you know, where attention span is extremely short, where everything that doesn't um, ignite within a couple of seconds uh, falls victim to the skip rate, you know, and you just need to always produce spectacular content in, in order to grab people's attention. And those were all things I was uh, exposed to while sitting there and not being able to have a beer at a bar. <laughs> yeah. And so I think in a way Holocene is our least conceptual record because every every song on that record has its own topic. And um in that it's also reflecting the old credo of postmodernism as Lyotard uh, brought it up, like of you know like this multitude of different opinions and angles and ways of looking at the world or whatever. Like the, the Holocene is a bit like that. It's a bit of a patchwork record. You know, each track has has its own theme, but all are under the umbrella of this uh, very weird, very recent time. So Holocene for us is a bit disengaged from what was actually going on during that geological uh, period. It's it's more a synonym we use for the modern age yeah yeah for sure i don't want to take up too much more of your time and once again i appreciate you doing this i've had such fun talking to you about the record with holocene and the oceans you know entire discography and perhaps you've seen some of the comments from fans alike but how did you hope this record resonated with fans and longtime fans and i guess even newer fans I try to not think about that too much when I write music. Actually, I, I don't think about that at all when I write music. I start thinking about it when the album is done and you start working on PR and doing interviews and uh, writing press texts. And like, you know, that's when you start thinking, hmm, I'm curious, you know, how is this going to go down? Yeah. And um, 
well, I, I had a feeling this was going to go down quite well, to be honest. I, I wasn't really afraid that people would give us shit as they did when we released Heliocentric. You know, like a lot of people were complaining that this is not a metal record anymore. <laughs> but I think by now, as I mentioned earlier, I think most people appreciate the fact that there's this element of the unexpected that is kind of like inherent in every Ocean record. And at the same time, it felt like it's a record that very much touches upon our kind of core substance in a way, you know? So it, it's not like a, it, it might seem like a, like a gear sh shift or something, but at the same time, I think it's like, it's it, the emotional essence of it is, is very much um, something very close to what this band has been about for the past couple of years. And so I wasn't really afraid of um, getting a lot of shit uh, I, it's also, I also don't really care much. You know, we write music mostly to please ourselves. And if um, if people follow, then that's great, of course. And we're thankful for that. But um, I think it's important to separate that, you know, and to really do that record that you feel like you have to do and you want to do and not that record that people are wanting you to do. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I tend to not overthink that. And... Um, it's been received incredibly well. I, I was not really expecting that. It seems like, in a way, it's a record that almost even brings our our old fans back into the picture. You know, the ones that had maybe turned away uh, with Heliocentric um, when we had all of a sudden mostly clean vocals. The ones that were more into Aeolian, Precambrian, like a lot of these people seem to be back now and really understand this record in a way, which that surprised me. Like I. I heard heard some comments uh, from from people that I've known for a long time that I wasn't expecting to like this record and they did, you know. So that's that's kind of cool. So I think it's in a way it's a record that unites um old and new ocean in a way. The old fans do get their treat with parts like the end of unconformities, you know, or subatlantic. So it, it does make sense to me. But um yeah, that 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 came as a nice surprise. Awesome. Holocene, the new record by the ocean is out now. Incredible record. Go pick it up. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Robin from The Ocean. It was super interesting just hearing how this entire record Holocene came together. It's crazy to me whenever, you know, these artists and musicians just always say, like, we didn't expect this to happen. And so, yeah, man, it was just a really cool opportunity to talk to robin i've followed the ocean for many years and i've always admired their work so just hearing how this record just how they intentionally created it to ebb and flow how those moments of heaviness hit at the right time and just kind of the thought process behind that was super interesting and you know i love hearing that stuff so yeah i hope you enjoyed that interview as well again holocene is such an amazing record I've listened to it countless times since it's come out. So again, if you haven't checked it out, be sure to jump on that immediately. As always, I do want to end the show by giving my recommendation of the week. And this week, that record will be the new Blindfolded and Led to the Woods record, Rejecting Obliteration out now on Prosthetic Records. Blindfolded and Led to the Woods is an avant-garde progressive metal act out of New Zealand, and their new record, Rejecting Obliteration, is a testament to the technicality and the intensity that you know their 
their sound just creates for the listener. And while that intensity and that technicality is so well done and so alluring to the listeners, it's also a beautiful record in a way. Um, You know, there are some really relatable and hard-hitting topics on this record that kind of go through, you know, getting through trauma, but while also resisting the urge to give up and finding resolution through resilience and man the lyrics to this record are just so you know hard hitting again but it's just really 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 a great album and one of my favorite releases of the year so far you know the dissonant chords and the you know the performance on the record and it's so well produced i just can't recommend this enough so yeah go check out the new blindfolded and led to the woods record rejecting obliteration out right now these guys will join the show at a later date and i can't wait for you to hear that because it was a great conversation but now i think we've come to the end of the episode just want to remind everyone to follow us on our socials and subscribe and follow the podcast wherever you get your podcasts you can hear the socials at the top of the episode And also leave us a review if you dig the show. Again, that helps us out tremendously. But until next time, friends, we'll see you again right here in the catacombs.